giver of life. We ask that you open the Holy Scriptures to us so that we may receive your word to us. Open our hearts and our minds so that we are able to receive that word. And give us your grace to follow and obey your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Over the course of the last five weeks during the season of Epiphany, we have focused on in different ways that God has revealed himself to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And on this last Sunday of Epiphany, we end with Jesus being transfigured on the mountain. As we will see, this is not only Jesus pulling back a veil to show us his glory, but also Jesus pointing to the glory that will be revealed to us on the last day. Our reading this morning begins in Mark 5, sorry, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And it begins with Jesus talking, taking with him his close disciples, Peter, James, and John, high up on the mountain. And once they are up high on the mountain by themselves, Jesus becomes transfigured before the very eyes. And it says, and it describes this transfiguration as Jesus' clothes becoming so dazzling white that no bleach on earth could have done that to his, to his clothes. And nowhere in Scripture, in the Old or New Testament, before do we hear about something like this happening to someone. The closest that we get to is in Exodus chapter 34 verse 29 and it's there's some similarities there but it's very different you see Moses' face becomes radiant after he has spoken with the Lord on top of the mountain and he's coming down with the two tablets down to Israel and it says that the Israelites see Moses' face radiating and they they get overcome with fear and they ask him to cover it with a veil and so Moses covers his face with, with a veil because of the fear of the Israelites. But here, not only is Jesus' face radiating, but it says his whole body is dazzling white. His whole body becomes radiant on top of the mountain. And as the disciples witnessed this, we are told that the prophet Elijah appears with Moses and they begin to talk with Jesus. And Moses was one who had spoken to the Lord, as we've mentioned. He had spoken to the Lord on Mount Sinai and throughout their journeys in the desert. And so he knew the Lord well. Elijah also had spoken to the Lord. Uh, you can look to 1 Kings 19 where he himself goes to the mountain and he sees the glory of the Lord. And so Elijah and Moses are both very familiar with not only the word of the Lord but of seeing the Lord's glory. Both Elijah and Moses appear on top of the mountain with Jesus to speak to the God whom they had always known 
and whom they had before spoken on behalf of. Elijah and Moses recognized the one whom they had served in their earthly lives. Peter, however, misses the point of what he is witnessing before his very eyes. It says that, that the disciples were terrified and Peter probably nervous. And he suggests that he make a tent or a dwelling for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And this is understandable because Peter's probably seeing his heroes before his very eyes. He's seen Elijah and Moses, the greatest of all Old Testament figures, with his master and teacher, Jesus, whom he had given everything to follow. And so it's understandable that Peter is probably excited to see all his heroes before his eyes. And so he suggests that he make a dwelling for them. But Peter is missing the point because Moses and Elijah are not here to stay but to witness to the one whom they are speaking to. And we know this to be true because the cloud, it says, overshadows them. Which in the Old Testament usually meant that God was present. It's a sign of God's presence. And then from the cloud they hear a voice that says, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Jesus came to fulfill the law that Moses had brought down from the mountain all those years ago. And to fulfill the words of the prophets like Elijah. Moses and Elijah and all the prophets never pointed to themselves but always to the one whom they spoke on behalf of. But Jesus himself was God. And he was the one greater than Moses and Elijah and all the prophets. He was the one in whom they spoke on behalf of. Jesus was the one that the disciples would have to follow and obey. And then it says that after the cloud leaves, they see no one else but Jesus. And this is because it is Jesus alone who would reveal to the world God's power and glory to all the world in the most unexpected of ways. Because the next time that we see Jesus go up a mountain will be on Golgotha, carrying a cross. Instead of being transfigured then though, Jesus on Golgotha will be nailed and lifted up on the cross. Instead of being followed by his closest disciples up the mountain, Jesus' disciples will have abandoned him. And instead of having Elijah and Moses appear, Jesus will be on the cross alone, being mocked as he dies. Yet in what will seem like the darkest hour for Jesus is actually where his glory will shine all the more. It is on the cross where Jesus will fully reveal God's glory most plainly. 
and where His power will be revealed, and where His love will be seen. On the cross we see the glory of God because we will see in this voluntary act of Jesus just how far God is willing to liberate us from the bonds of death. We will see His power on the cross because we will see Jesus break those bonds. And we will see His love because Jesus is the one who will free us from those bonds of death so that we could be with Him, with our God for all of eternity and healing the rift so that nothing could ever come between humanity and our God. Never again will anything stand between humanity and the Lord, not sin nor death. In the transfiguration, Jesus reveals to his disciples this fact, this reality, that sin nor death is the end goal. That even in the midst of suffering, death and sin will not have the final say. But that after suffering, God's glory, power, and love will be what will be left standing. Not sin nor death will be able to overcome Jesus. And this is also to show us of our destiny. Jesus was willing to pay the price of facing suffering and death, not because he already knew he would come out victorious, but because he wanted to share that victory over sin and death with us, with humanity. Death will not have the final say not only for Jesus, but for those in Christ Jesus as well. Because of Jesus' victory on the cross, death will no longer have, will not be the final story for those in Jesus. Jesus' victory would mean for us that it would be life, not death, that would be waiting for us at the end. Death will not have the final say, and sin will not have the final say. And this doesn't mean that we will escape from God's good creation. Salvation does not mean escape. It doesn't mean that we're going to leave off or, or go somewhere else. It does not mean we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity in a disembodied state. Yes, when we pass from this life now, we will be with Jesus in paradise in a disembodied state. But as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 10, that what is to be most desired is to be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What Paul means is that what is to be the most desired is that our mortal body be swallowed up and transformed by life, by God's life-giving Spirit. Because of Jesus, our end is not to lose our mortal body forever, only for a while. 
We are not meant to be disembodied spirits for the rest of eternity. But the promise is that the promise is resurrection. That we will be swallowed up by life and not death. That creation will be will not be for nothing, but will also be transformed. Because the end is not death, but life. And we, we, re, we recite in our creed every Sunday with Christians around the world and throughout history saying together that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. From the first followers of Jesus, it was resurrection and life everlasting that was always the Christian hope. That's the good news of the gospel. That God came in the flesh, humbled himself, even to the point of the cross, so that he can open the door to everlasting life. This is good news for a world where the shadow of sin and death seem to overshadow us. We live in times where no one goes through life without being touched by grief or by suffering. And suffering will come to us in different ways. It comes, we see it in famine, we see it in war, we see it in oppression, we see it in injustice, and we see it when our loved ones die. What Jesus points to, though, is that that, that, that suffering is not for nothing. And that death does not have the final say. But that life will have the final say at the end. Jesus is the tree of life we should have always desired more than any of the idols we make for ourselves. And He is the one to be desired for because He is the one who gives life and where we find the life. It is to Jesus that we look to in the midst of suffering because in Jesus we see one who has suffered with us and one who has overcome that suffering and one who has victory over that suffering and victory over sin and victory over death. And this is what the transfiguration points to. It points to the reality that a life after Jesus will be one that will also overcome suffering, death, and sin. We too at the end will be transfigured by the grace of God because of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. God's life-giving Spirit we will, that we receive in baptism already as a down payment is the same Spirit that will make our mortal bodies that alone otherwise would just face death be transformed to bodies that can overcome death and be swallowed up by life so that we can have life everlasting. And this truth gives us a different lens by which to look at the world with. This allows us to see a world that is good, a world, a creation that God created and that has everlasting written all over it, that has good written all over it. We can see a world, even in the midst of suffering, 
that will be our permanent home and God's permanent dwelling. We can see a world where that was always and will be be a creation meant for life. And this helps us find joy in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of suffering. It also helps us to find compassion to those who suffer now. It also should lead us to mercy and forgiveness instead of continuing in cycles of revenge. This truth is the gospel that transforms hearts, that transforms the way we are as humans and the way that we see the world. And it does so because the gospel is a life-giving gospel. When we preach the gospel, when we live out the gospel, we point to the one whom is revealed by God to be the life giver, which is Jesus, our Lord. And by our faith and obedience, we point to that Lord of life, who has won for us life and liberated all of humanity from the bonds of death. We do not need to fear death anymore. We are free from death's grips and from sin's grips of our hearts. We are free to love our neighbor. We are free to forgive our enemies. We are free to care for those most vulnerable among us. We are free to love one another and to love God's good creation. We are called to point to Jesus, the one who reveals to the world and to all of humanity how the end will look like. Jesus being transfigured on top of the mountain points to us the life that is to come, the world that is to come, a world that will be swallowed up by life. A humanity that will be swallowed up by life. A future where Jesus will reign as King and Lord. Where his rule will be a rule of justice, of compassion, of mercy and love. A future where Jesus, God in the flesh, will dwell with us forever. Without anything ever coming between humanity and and our God who will dwell with us. The transfiguration points to the future where we will finally live into our royal calling of pointing to all of creation, the God who gives us life. On the mountain, when Jesus is transfigured, we see that God of life in the flesh and the one that we honor and exalt when we too will be transfigured by our Lord's life-giving Spirit. It is to this God, 
fully revealed in Jesus our Lord, whom we point to in the midst of suffering for a world and a humanity in need of hope. May this hope given to us be a hope that we too can radiate to a world faithfully so that our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord over life, the one who defeated death, the one who released us from the captivity of sin, may this Lord Jesus be honored and exalted forever and forevermore. May this be the God whom will be, who will be honored and praised at the end of the ages. And may we have our part in it by leading and telling people of this great hope. The God who not only showed his glory on top of the mountain that day, but also showed us how the end will look like. Amen.